Hello there, folks. Kevin here. Thanks for tuning in. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sound and head on over to our Instagram, Film Friday Podcast. Give it a like, a follow, and, you know, maybe share it with your friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks. Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Friday. This week we have a very fancy ass guest, my friend Eamon Murphy. He's a director, a <laughs> lifelong friend, <laughs> um, and we're here to talk about Happy Gilmore. So, uh, yeah, Eamon, introduce yourself to the people. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Eamon Murphy. I'm a writer director based in Dublin, Ireland. Um, my most recent short film is called Better You, which received its international premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in Manhattan this year. Um, and um, it's currently on the festival circuit. Yeah, and it is fantastic. So you know that Eamon coming on the show is like, yeah, Eamon's going to pick a great dramatic film and it's going to really, we're going to get into the depths of character and screenwriting. And what better film to pick than Happy Gilmore? <laughs> Look, man, Happy Gilmore is an underrated classic, you know? It really is. I, I completely agree. Um, so Happy Gilmore, for those of you who don't know, was directed by Dennis Dungan, who does a lot of films with Adam Sandler. He did that terrible one that he did, Jack and Jill, which uh, we probably shouldn't talk about. That yeah, no, let's talk about that. We're talking about <laughs> the near Adam Sandler. Yeah. It was out, released in 1996, and it was written by Adam Sandler and Tim Herley, who was Adam Sandler's college roommate. And Eamon, I'm going to give you the budget, and then I want you to try and guess what it made at the box office. Okay. So the budget was 12 million. 12 million. Um, I'm trying to think if this was like Adam Sandler's breakout role or not. I don't. You know what I mean? Like the one that made him big at the time. I don't know if it was, I think. I don't think it was. I'll give you a hint. Other films came before that. So he kind of went on a roll here. He he did he did this. Uh, a year before this, he did Billy Madison. Then he did Happy Gilmore. Uh, then he did The Water Boy. Then he did The Wedding Singer. Then he did Big Daddy. Wow. And you did Mr. Deeds. And these are all, so it was Billy Madison, 1995, Happy Gilmore, 1996, Waterboy, 1998, Wedding Center, 1998, and Big Daddy, 1999. Where does Little Nicky fall into this? Little Nicky was 2001, I think, or 2000, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. Jeez, I thought it was closer. They were all closer together. Um, yeah, there's a year break in there, so... Uh, let's say 20 million 24 million it made 41 million oh wow yeah if you're interested i think his big breakout one was the wedding singer mm, yeah. or or the water boy i think they're both out in the same year so whatever came out first i mean i think the wedding singer is probably more popular with a more adult generation i think because <laughs> i remember like like older people I knew when I was a kid talking about the wedding singer, saying how brilliant it was. Yeah. Where I, 
you know, I think, but you know, the water boy is probably a bit more. <laughs> Not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> I remember quoting that movie so much when I was younger. Oh man, the other day, man, the other day I was on uh, the internet and I typed in V on the search engine. I can't remember what I was looking for. I typed in the V, and the first thing that came up was was a uh, Vicky Valencourt. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, it's his girlfriend from the Waterboy. <laughs> and she showed me her boobies, and I like them too. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast for another day, though. Um, so, um, why why did you pick Waterboy? Uh, not Waterboy, <laughs> um, I have it on the mind now. Why? Why Happy Gilmore? Why? Why this film? Yeah, well, I picked Happy Gilmore because it's it's just one of these films that when it's on TV, I'll always watch it. Like it doesn't matter if I turn the channel and it's like halfway through or it's near the end, I'll still sit and watch the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And only now that I'm sort of older and uh, that I've started studying film and screenwriting that I can actually sort of appreciate just how good the script is and just how good the storytelling is, even though it is a comedy that's supposed to be taken lightly. But the whole narrative just moves together so quickly that it's, I just think it's one of the best films ever made, to be honest. <laughs> wow, that's that's high praise, very high praise. Uh, just to give other people, um, just to realise how high praise this is, Eamon loves Christopher Nolan. That'd probably be one of your famous directors, wouldn't he? Um, yeah, I lo- uh, yeah, I like all the big ones. Like I like Christopher Nolan, Denny Villeneuve, um, Tarantino. Uh, who else do I like? Actually, I really like Sam Raimi <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, uh, Tim Burton and Guillermo del Toro. I like all those kind of filmmakers. But I think it was I think it was when you kind of asked me like a film that you know that I really like and. Um, I suppose when I thought about it a bit more, I was like, I, I wouldn't watch a Christopher Nolan film if I found it on the TV. You know, I'd have to get into the mindset to watch it yeah, and things like that. Whereas with Happy Gilmore, I, you know, I, I'll just watch it any time of the day, really. That's a great point, man. I think, I think the main function of a film is to be entertaining, first and foremost, yeah. regardless of the crafts and everything else. Surely people can argue that maybe it's it's not the best film ever made, but it sure is entertaining, and that's what a film should do. Yeah. So, funnily enough, this film was the most requested film to do on this podcast. Really? So, when I was starting this podcast, I reached out to a bunch of different people, and three people got back to me. Their first film was, I want to do Happy Gilmore. You got in first, so I was like, and I and also I wanted to talk to you about it, but yeah, I like I love Happy Gilmore. Like you know, what I love Happy Gilmore, but I couldn't believe that like when people had the option to choose any film, they were like, I want to get into a detailed chat about <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Oh, dude, I think I think it kind of resonates with people their age because it sort of came out. It came out in nineteen ninety six, and. Mm-hmm. So, like, we would have just been kids. And I was, I think I, 
saw it first when I was probably like nine or ten years old. <laughs> I should be should have been watching it. But I remember like we had it on the VHS tape, you know, the old VHS tapes. Yeah, and it was just sort of one of these films that you knew you shouldn't be watching, but. And I'm sure there is like older jokes in it at the time that we didn't understand, but the comedy itself was just so accessible to kids as well. Yeah. It, it like you just enjoyed watching it, and it's yeah. only more that I'm older that I actually get some of the like the darker humor, <laughs> and I realize just how much of a horrible person Shooter McGavin is. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, th- I think that's a good point that you hit on that does border on some parts like online uh, online with slapstick comedy which most Adam Sandler movies do but that does make it give like a general audience flow like I feel like you could definitely like a kid 10 year old young flick could sit down and like a 50 year old to sit down and they both find stuff to laugh at this film yeah I mean but this is why I think it's just amazing like the, the it's 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 so strange because it's like the plot line is so simple. Maybe I shouldn't talk about the plot line. But no, like, you can't talk about uh, it. Well, it's basically a guy called Happy who has anger issues. <laughs> 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 you know? And he's a former hockey player who never succeeded in his life. And he ends up just uh, playing golf instead so that he can win back his grandma's house that got repossessed. That's I- it. I, I never even thought that his name is Happy and he's just not happy. I didn't yeah. even think of that. He's <laughs> right, man. Like, it's, there's so many levels to this script. Yeah, there's, that's one thing I found watching it. There's so many li- little nooks and crannies that if you really got into, like, I'd love to watch a film where Ben Stiller is running a sweatshop in an old lady's home. <laughs> Yeah. Oh wow, that scene is just amazing. Yeah. Like who thought like my questioning sitting that I was like when they were sitting down where they like, you know it would be great if we got Ben Stiller <laughs> and he was an art an abusive orderly in an elderly home who's running it as a sweatshop. Oh man. man. It's just the, the writing of the film is just incredible. Like, there's so many, it's like every little supporting character has their own moment. Mm-hmm. Every character in the entire film has their own little moments. And I think that's why it just kind of resonates with people, I guess. It's it's so strange. It's such a well-rounded script that it just gets overlooked because it's not dramatic. Yeah. From the beginning, it's completely ridiculous. It's like, is this home footage? And he's like, yeah, so me mom moved to Egypt because she didn't like hockey. <laughs> and my dad died by getting hit in the head with a hockey puck. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of where it's, it's, it's sort of really good. Like, the writing is so good because within the first two minutes, you understand his entire character. Mm-hmm. It they do it so well where it's like just all these vignettes of him working in his different job <laughs> just pretending to ride things like a horse <laughs> <laughs> and all of his job doing all these things and he'll get, do the thing that gets him fired and he has to move on and 
And, you know, his number one dream in life is to play hockey. That's why he's put on this earth, you know? And he just can't. He's just too angry all the time. And it's weird because I, I actually watched um, Big Daddy there the other day. Not to get off point, but I watched Big Daddy there the other day. Yeah. And they have a very similar sort of opening structure where they just set up the character instantly, where it's a series of phone calls coming in from his dad. And his dad is like giving out to him. And uh, I forget his name, Big Daddy, but Adam Sandler is basically just lying to his dad down the phone the entire time while showing him doing things that he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> it's like it's complaining to him that he's like spending all of his money on garbage, you know. And he's like, yeah. no, I'm not fine. And then meanwhile, he's talking, it just shows him walking down the street with a surfboard. <laughs> 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 and it's like, yeah, this is like, it sets up the entire character straight away. It's brilliant. I think that's definitely a probably a occurring theme in like his, in all of his films. I kind of, watching this, I was like, wow, I would want to go on an Adam Sandler marathon because it's just all gold. Well, not all of it. <laughs> yeah let's not talk about the, the most recent stuff <laughs> let's um i wonder how much of this film was improvised so like when his girlfriend breaks up with him it's like a quick setup like you know his life is getting worse <laughs> but he, like when she breaks up with him and then she's leaving and then he jumps on the speaker <laughs> he just starts like licking it and like making love to the speaker that has to be improvised. It's like, <laughs> like, being like... Yeah, it's like writing that. And then <laughs> the logical progression in this narrative is she just kind of starts singing down the speaker. He's there licking it. And yeah, then we like... talk to an old woman standing there watching. Her <laughs> I, I, and watching that scene actually made me try and look at the film in a different way because that entire scene is basically one joke. And then the punchline at the end is when he gets up the next morning and he leaves the house. And then that old Asian lady is like wearing his hockey jersey being like, you know what, breakfast? <laughs> so that entire scene from his girlfriend leaving um, till that point is just all one joke. But you find out story elements in it. Like it gets pushed more into like that he's a loser and shit within a joke. Yeah, like this whole character arc is that he's never su- succeeded in anything. He's a total loser. Um, and it, it's really cool because it, it's, it's, it's funny. While it's also entertaining, but it also fits into this sort of typical sort of narrative structure that you find in films, whereas in the first, you know, seven to ten minutes, the character is... Bad things happen to the main character so that the audience can empathize with him. Mm-hmm. You know? And in this one, it's that he, he doesn't get picked for the hockey team. <laughs> You know, <laughs> the first scene, and then he starts beating up the coach because he doesn't get picked. And then he arrives home that night, and his girlfriend's leaving. You know, and it's like, yeah, this is the. And then the next scene is the people repossessing his grandmother's house. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. the, the story structure itself it just keeps just keeps moving all the time. Mm-hmm. And you don't even notice that it's moving because there's so many little jokes plastered in. Um, like I tried to as much as I could when I was watching it, write down like little golden nuggets. So like when the the house gets sold and then he brings his grandma to uh the elderly home, 
And she's like, where's that lovely girl that you used to date? He's like, oh, she got hit by a car. She's dead. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so like, he throws that line away. And it's so hilarious. (laughs) She's dead. (laughs) What? And she just just doesn't know what to say. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to know whether they wrote that stuff or do you just make it up on, on the spot, you know? Or even that woman that just jumps on the car. She's like, Mista, Mista. Like, how do you write that? She's like, okay, we're going to get a woman to jump in here and she's going to have a really weird accent. Mista, Mista, get me out of here. He <laughs> just has an old bag of Burger King or something. <laughs> <laughs> here, just eat that. Leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he had that ready as well. Just like a Burger King in his uh, car, like. <laughs> when so then we we get introduced to Ben Stiller. How do you think they approached him with this idea? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, it's kind of like <laughs> Ben Stiller is one of these car, one of these actors that is so unassuming. He can actually do serious stuff, but his comedy, mm-hmm. I think comedy is kind of where he started out. You know, yeah, that's what like that's why I think you know you have films like Tropic Thunder and. <laughs> Things like that, you know, which are just all the fuckers. Yeah, you know, all these films that you, I don't know if you wrote these films, but you know, he's kind of like the main guy behind them, the visionary. But um, I think Ben Stiller would have just said yes straight away. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, he's, especially coming off if they're making this film, are they making this film after The Wedding Singer or before The Wedding Singer? No, this is before The Wedding Singer. Ah, Sorry. But, um, so this is after Billy Madison. Yeah. Was Ben Stiller famous then? I, can't, I don't know if he was famous then. Um, I, I think they were kind of part of like a little rap pack. Yeah. Like that's I, what it was called. They were like him and like Rob Schneider and all these types of people. All in this, you know, the way Rob Schneider's in every Adam Sandler film. Is he in this one? I don't think he's in this one. <sighs> he is, isn't he? Doesn't he say something like, you can do it, happy? No, that's that's him in all of the other films. Like that's him in Little Dick and Nicky's, uh, like the longest yard as well. Like group hug in the showers tonight. Forget <laughs> <laughs> that you remember that line. <laughs> they have, they do have that other guy that is like part of the rap pack that plays the homeless um, caddy. Yeah, he's a he's he's a great actor. He's so unassuming. Um. Peter yeah, Calamus. I mean, like the Caddy character, he has no dialogue in the entire film, pretty much. But you learn so much about his character throughout the entire thing of just like other scenes where, you know, he said that the ball looks a little bit, the land is a little bit crooked. So you need to shoot a little to the left. And he's like, nah, it's only because you've one shoe on. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Or then, like, one of the scenes, he's just like having a bath in one of the pills on the. <laughs> Uh, it, it gets the film gets ri- like slowly more ridiculous like when they introduce uh, Carl Weathers character um, Chubbs his name as well Chubbs <laughs> and they just how did they come up with the ideas like okay so what if we have this retired golfer and he has a wooden hand because <laughs> an alligator bit it off <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I, I understand why they'd have him in there because obviously he's 
the mentor. It takes on the sort of archetypal leader mm-hmm. character that every that's in like the typical hero's journey where you know he's obi-wan <laughs> obi-wan it's gandalf it's dumbledore it's the the smarter person that the protagonist turns to to help him through the tough situations mm-hmm. except he's happy he's just a, a sort of reluctant hero in a way he doesn't want to listen to his advice you know yeah. but they they manage to just strike the balance really well uh in terms of like <laughs> letting giving Chubbs the right backstory, like such a weird backstory that he's got his hand a bit for an alligator, <laughs> you know. Uh, and he's got his eye, carries around in his pocket in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's look, man, it's just genius writing, you know. I feel like Adam Sandler happy gets more angry throughout the film. Like his outbursts like become more apparent. Um like just yeah, more well, ridiculous. It's, it's weird. I think the whole like obviously I think the film's based in Florida, is it? I can't remember. Mm, yeah, I know it was actually filmed in Vancouver, but I oh, think it's okay. well, based in Florida. But it's like the um, obviously in Florida there's alligators everywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There are, like, if you go on Instagram and things like that, or YouTube, you'll find golfers encountering alligators on, on the greens, you know, or on the golf course, you know. But it, it, I saw a video there only this week of, it was, I think it was on the Instagram page called The Dark Side of Nature. And it's an alligator on a golf course. Literally. Playing, playing golf. And he literally. <laughs> the golf ball and hold it in his mouth oh wow I hold it in his mouth and I was like yeah this is Happy Gilmore it's like I don't know what it, it must be a known thing amongst golfers in that region or something like that maybe the alligators think they're eggs or something like that I don't know but the alligators do like pick them up and hold them in their mouths and stuff that's crazy golf of all sports like you know golf the tamest of all sports except you may run into an alligator <laughs> Yeah, stop playing it near swamps, you know. <laughs> it's the quickest solution to it, like. What is the noise that they use when he hits the ball? It's like a jet engine or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like something from a cartoon. It's like, <laughs> That, do you know, you ever see the Evil Dead? <laughs> That's not where you go with this. <laughs> <laughs> So the Evil Dead, it's actually a Sam Raimi film. Yeah. Um, but he, it was one of, I think it's one of his first films with Bruce Campbell, who funnily enough wanted to play Shooter McGavin. Um, and he uses like kind of like a similar, like you know the way they do a point of view from the ball when it's flying through the air. So Sam Raimi uses this, except the point of view is of the monster in the Evil Dead. And it's kind of like a similar sound. So, like, they're in the cabin, and, like, it's just this thing, point of view, moving through the woods, like, and so I don't know if they got inspiration from that, but I couldn't stop thinking about that whenever I seen it. (laughs) It's clever filmmaking, because I don't know how else you're supposed to show the path of a golf ball (laughs) at that speed, (laughs) you know? 
how else are you supposed to do it? You're not going to have a cameraman just whip pan with the ball and then it's just gone. Yeah, you know? that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, it makes perfect sense when you think about it. I don't, I can't think of another way to do it. Yeah. You know, unless you're using CGI. Ugh. Imagine, can you imagine anybody else playing Shooter McGavin? Except for Christopher, uh, McDo- Christopher McDonald? <laughs> no, man. I mean, he's just perfect for that role. It's weird because, like, I know him. I know him primarily from Happy Gilmore, but I also know him from Requiem for a Dream, <laughs> where Gabe <laughs> show host. But he's just the, the same sort of smarmy, sleazy character with the fake grin, you know? Yeah. And it's just something about the guy that he's able to pull off this character so well, you know? He apparently turned it down twice because he didn't want to play the same character that he's always playing. But if they offered it to him twice, well, obviously three times because he got played it at the end, they must have like written this with him in mind or, or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I honestly can't see anyone else in the role. As he plays it so well, he has the perfect sort of... He has the perfect balance of charm and, and arrogance mm. that you don't know whether he's being genuine or not when he gives a character a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I like... I don't know if this... It's just something that I, when I was watching last night I was thinking of. He kind of grounds it a bit because if you think about it, he really is the only one that's like being serious apart from like, you know, hiring that guy to shout at him uh, happy. But he really is the only character that's kind of being serious. Um, He wants to be a professional golfer. He wants to be like, really take this. It's his life. Like he's dedicated. That's all he wants. He's the only one amongst his group of friends who doesn't have a gold jacket. <laughs> and then Happy shows up and fucking takes it away from him. You know? He, he you know, he's he's one of those like established golfers, you know, who's completely um you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it, it's a bit like it's probably the wrong analogy, but I'm gonna use anyway. It's a bit like like Aldo and McGregor in a way. Where Aldo is this established veteran boxing MMA fighter, he's been around for years, and then this fella McGregor comes out of nowhere and just shakes everything up and like acts like he owns the place. He's able to break all the rules and still gets away with it because he still brings in the ratings. And that you know, it's pretty much the same for Shooter McGavin, you know. Man, that's a great analogy. I wish I wish uh, Jose Aldo was as funny as Shooter McGavin though. <laughs> yeah. I wrote some of his quotes down, and I think my favorite one, like there's some brilliant ones, but I think my favorite one is, "Damn you people, go back to your shanties." <laughs> this is golf. Because <laughs> uh, he says that twice. He says, "Damn you people," twice. Because then the second one is like, damn you people, this is golf, not a rock concert. And there's like balls popping around everywhere. Yeah, and people doing beer bongs and shit. 
I uh, he just plays it so well. But going back to what we were saying earlier on, or what you were saying, that each character like is so specific. He hires that character Donald to just fuck with Happy Gilmore, but that guy is so like he has like his own little weird narrative going on, where he's like he's like obsessed with Shooter. He's like Shooter. I thought you said we were going to be friends. <laughs> yeah, man, Donald is just one of these amazing <laughs> characters that you've no sort of real... I don't know what the introduction scene is. Too, I, I, I think... think it's Shooter walking through the woods or something, isn't it? No, it's... Um, so he calls... He makes a phone call and he says... Hey Donald, what's going on, buddy? I need your help. And then he just this guy just shows up uh um when he's golfing with Bob Barker <laughs> and he just starts being like, Jackass <laughs> And then he pays him afterwards in the woods and that's like shows us the connection. <laughs> yeah, well it's like Shooter just takes advantage of like one of his loyal fans who's sort of a creep as well. You know? <laughs> I wear book hats, you know. <laughs> but he does the entire thing. It's, but this is like Shooter just scheming. It's like the whole plan is to get Happy to freak out and not control his anger and punch him. But instead of punching him, he punches Bob Barker. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because Shooter kind of does his own undoing. Like if Shooter had have just let Happy do his thing, Happy wouldn't have tried to get better. Hmm. And wouldn't have beat him. He would have just kept coming last if like yeah. shit was just well, like that. what it was was that Happy was just in it for the for the money to win the house back. But yeah. then the shooter is such a dick. <laughs> beat him as well. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why it's perfect, because it's like shooter is just the instrument of his own destruction. I love Shooter, man. I think Shooter's my favourite character. Like there's that scene where Quay um, Happy breaks the bottle and like threatens him with it. But before that, he's like, <laughs> This is Shooter's turn. And now it's Shooter's turn. And Shooter's not about to let somebody like you come in and take this from him. <laughs> like, it's, he says his name three times. <laughs> he talks to himself. He talks about himself as a third person, you know? <laughs> I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Or even that bit where it's like, where they square off at the final thing and it's like, yeah, Grizzly Adams had a beard. <laughs> Grizzly Adams did have a beard. Like, he's that guy as well. He's not, he's not, he's no other lines in the film. But he's oh. Every other, like, tour, tour round of golf. So I read up to see who that guy is. That guy is actually a professional golfer. <laughs> that they asked to be in the film. And later he regrets being in the film because he didn't realise how much foul language was going to be in the film. Ah, that's a, that's a typical golfer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Worrying about their language. Oh. Uh, just everything I say is just a compliment to the script writing. Just Bob Barker. The idea of getting Bob Barker, who's like be the equivalent of like Ryan Turberty in Ireland, to be like in the film and how they just came up with the idea. You know what would be great if Happy fought Bob Barker 
a Bob Barker one. <laughs> oh man, it's genius! It's I think I, I don't I, I might be wrong, but I think originally it was supposed to be the happy one. I think, and then <laughs> like Bob Barker was like, no, 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 I, I think I should win. <laughs> <laughs> There's something weird like this. I think so. I can't remember. I have to double check it. But apparently there is some sort of dispute about how the fight should go. And they rewrote it. <laughs> Do you know the fight won one of the only awards that the film won? It won MTV's Best Fight of the Year award. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's um, so bizarre when you think about it. Like, it's just so bizarre. <laughs> You know, imagine that nowadays it'd be that fight up against the Avengers or some shit. Who would know? it be nowadays if they had to get like a late talk show or he was a game show host, so who 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 would be the equivalent of Bob Barker nowadays? In Ireland. Or in American culture. Oh like, American you're Ireland. Ireland. what's your man who does Steve Harvey, is it? On do you know who it would be? Your man, it's not not it's Bill something. That he does, he does that political comedy show. Is it Bill Maher? Oh yeah, Bill Maher. Yeah, I think it would be Bill Maher. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'd love to see Bill Maher get the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, Bill Maher. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as an intimidating guy. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see. He's a snide guy though, so I'd love to see Adam Sandler. He'd be better as a shooter character. Oh yeah, that's fair. He is very uh <laughs> <laughs> He would though, wouldn't he? He has the slick back hair look and Yeah. You know, wears a suit. <laughs> <laughs> do you think from the start when they're writing it, because they do that classic, like you were saying, um mentor, mentee relationship that they always knew that Chubb was gonna be killed? <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, because what it does is like once the mentor character is taken away, then the stakes are raised, you know, and mm. the character doesn't, the protagonist doesn't have a crutch anymore to lean on or no one else to turn to, so he has to fend for himself now. Yeah. You know, so they make it work really well in terms of a narrative structure. Yeah. That's, one of that's like one of the times where I was thinking like they're like okay we need to kill Chubbs how do we do it I just one of the ideas is just like what if he just falls out a window <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that's what comedy is man like film comedy it's taken all of the tropes that you would have in a traditional story and just passing them off as if they're nothing okay yeah you know what I mean? whereas in any other film that would have been like a huge moment in a serious film that this kind of mentor character dying would have been sad. There would have been operatic music in the background. Things would have gone up the slow motion. Whereas with this, it's just, ah! <laughs> you know, whatever. That cuts on to the next scene. You know? oh, that- even when he falls, the golfer is down there. <laughs> just shaking his head. And I love at the funeral they have like his wooden hand that's glued back together and Happy like does like a little handshake with it. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's very clever uh, how they did it, you know? And I think there is probably something in that and where they just kind of flip things on their heads a little bit, you know? Uh, mm. Or the dramatic moments are passed off as lighthearted moments. Mm. You know? Yeah. And I wonder how they came up with the idea of this is what Happy's Happy's Place is going to be. So you got like what? A little person on a bike. <laughs> I still don't know what that means. Like, what's <laughs> some, there's some Freudian stuff going on there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't even think there was layers to that. I think they were probably just like that would be funny if you just like a little little guy on like a bike with a fucking cowboy outfit, just like <laughs> waving at him, like because <laughs> I feel like that would be actual Adam Sandler's happy place. <laughs> Possibly, man. I mean, yeah, it's happy place. It's, you know, you can't really fault it, you know. you got, what's their car- character's name? Virginia Bennett or something, is it? Yeah. Who? Like two pitchers of beer. <laughs> who is that? Do you know who she is? She's the woman. She's the married wife out of Modern Family. Mm, yeah. Well, I can't remember her name. What's her name? Julia or something? Or Julia? Yeah, Julia Bowen. Yeah, Julia Bowen, yeah. Speaking of uh, other crazy characters... That the boss, Happy's boss, <laughs> um, oh, the yeah. guy. you know, that he's Jaws from Moonraker. Oh, shit, it is Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think it's hilarious because it's Jaws from Moonraker just standing there where the t shirt saying, Goods don't kill people, I kill people. <laughs> You're just like, What? <laughs> <laughs> and he has the nail in his head. Yeah, he's getting it removed next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but what's his name in it? Is it Mr. Hurley or something like that? Or... It's Mr. Larson. <laughs> Mr. Larson. <laughs> Richard Keel is the actor's name. Yeah. Yeah, but he, yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's just such a weird little side character. The who... Ends up chasing Shooter down after he steals the gold jacket and beats the shit out of him. I believe that belongs to Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, that's a brilliant part of the script, though, where because they show him in like the first couple of scenes and he like shoots the nail gun in his head and he's like, Grrr. but the fact that they were like, all right, we're going to bring this guy back. If we could get Jaws from the James Bond movie to play this character, <laughs> yeah, well, like it, it's such it again. It's like it's just brilliant writing because it it just goes. If he shoots the nail, <laughs> and he shoots the nail hits him in the side of the head, and then it just cuts the happy in hospital in a load of casts because he got the shit. <laughs> and so then we know straight away that. You know, he's got to beat the shit out of someone. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's brilliant how they set that up in the in the script earlier on. They're like, this guy's an angry dude. He's got to kill somebody. And then there's like, Shooter McGavin has to hit a, hit the golf ball off his foot. <laughs> and he's like, nah, nah, nah. I can hit that off Frankenstein's fat foot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that, that's two shooter. Oh, you can count, and you can count on me waiting for you with the parking lot. 
Um, oh, here's an interesting fact. So, um, the Catty's actual character's name is Otto. Um, though you never find out in the film, but it's revealed in a deleted scene. But he, the guy Alan Covert, reprises the same role and plays the same character in Adam Sandler's 2011 film Jack and Jill. Yeah, but who's seen that film? I know. <laughs> no one saw that trailer and went, "Yes, I want to go spend ten euros of my money." On seeing this on the cinema. Al Pacino was in that film. Like, how did they get Al Pacino to be in that film? <laughs> of all the Adam Sadler movies. Uh, must have been stuck for a paycheck. <laughs> Fair. I am I am disappointed that we never found out what happened to Ben Stiller's character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, he's sort of... He's probably still running the sweatshop, you know? That's probably what he's doing. But, like, you don't need to know what happened to him because he's. Yeah. He's just his own little entity living in his own little world. Like, that's his own little empire there. <laughs> you know? Even, uh, even there, I just thought about it. Like, even remember when uh, Happy and Virginia go on their date to the ice hockey rink? <laughs> and then the music starts playing. And they have their dads. And then it just cuts. The, the, the ice rink guy just sitting in the corner miming along to the lyrics endless love <laughs> <laughs> and I, I obviously it's a really feel good film man like when I watched it last night I was like man that was so pleasant because you're cheering for happy the entire way and then he wins in obviously a ridiculous manner <laughs> like the the Whatever he does, dunk, 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 boink, and goes in, gets the hole. But uh, I just love that last thing where he looks up over the house, and for some reason, it's Chubbs, the alligator, and Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, just wave it down at him. Would you watch a, a Shooter McGavin spin off? Oh, absolutely, 100%. There has to be, like, people pissing them off all the time. Like, that would be the entire show, just him trying to maintain his cool all the time. Yeah. You know? Man, I'd definitely watch that if they did, like, a Cobra Kai thing where they skipped to, like, what, what's it been 20 years later and how Shooter McGavin's doing. So I have some, uh, I have, like, a quick fire round here for like some questions right okay. so like, i'm just gonna say it in them and then you just give me whatever your answer is so oh we forgot to give uh just two weeks in a row after forgetting uh i forgot the 10 second uh summary so you got away with it well i already said the plot line anyway yeah but you didn't do it on a timeline of 10 seconds anyway. that's definitely ten seconds. <laughs> i suppose it's a, an easy enough one all right so as it is uh standout performance shooter Mainly because I've never seen someone that, you know, you kind of relate to, but also hate at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, character you most relate to? Character you most relate to? Um, probably happy. I'm an angry person in general. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. <laughs> your fa- Your favourite scene? 
Oh man, that's a tough one. Yeah. I think it's gonna be where Chubbs is trying to convince him to play golf. <laughs> and they go to the batting cage. <laughs> <laughs> and he just has baseball but baseball's hitting him in the head and then the chest goes the entire thing and then it just cuts the kids trying to imitate him <laughs> <laughs> and, and the best I love how like, when it hits him in the head he's like oh that would kind of hurt but let's keep going <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely my favourite scene um or a favourite lion? Favourite lion? Um, has to be if I eat piece of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> I have to do that. Like. And now I'm just curious to know why... So Adam Sandler, he's kind of an enigma. Mm. Why? Like, so he's critically panned. Like, this film is critically panned. Like, most of the films are critically panned. Apart from, like, when he does dramatic stuff. So he's... He can be dramatic, like we've seen it in Uncut Gems, um, Rain Over Me, Punch Drunk Love. But he has five Razzies, which are the equivalent of, like, shit Oscars. What What do you think makes audiences just watch him so much? Like, he has this new deal with Netflix where they're, like, making so many films. And the films, like, some of the films aren't. They're not that good. But people watch them. Like, people love watching Adam Sandler films. What do you think it is about him that he just defies all critics and has such a cult following? I think it's, for a lot of people, it's number one, probably nostalgia for audiences, maybe, because we sort of grew up watching him, you know? Mm. Yeah, and he he always plays characters that are sort of relatable, always sort of loser characters, down and out characters, and unfortunately, I think that's how most people see themselves. <laughs> like, no one wakes up in the morning thinking that they're you know the best they're ever going to be, you know. Yeah. Um. So he, I think he plays really accessible characters. Um. But if you want us to look at it from like a film production standpoint. It's that Adam Sandler, like his company, uh, what's a Happy Madison? Mm-hmm. Um, they can turn out like two or three feature films a year, right? You know, like he'll he he has this actually weird thing that I heard once that basically what he does is he sets every one of his films in a different city so that he can go on holiday with his family. Wow. Well, like when you think about it now, it makes sense because every one of his films is set in like a different state or yeah. town, and uh, that's basically the reasoning behind it. Like he made Fifty for Estates in fucking Hawaii. It doesn't have to be set in Hawaii. Like it makes no sense that film has to be set in Hawaii, but it just is. Yeah, you know. So it's just an opportunity for him to go on holidays with his family. But to, to get, answer your question, I think it's that it's like number one, he's able to turn out films, and I think, I think since he sort of became like a dad and his pair and his kids are sort of growing up, I think he wanted to do films that are more kind of kid friendly, like Hotel Transylvania and stuff like. Yeah, that. I think he wanted to do that because I think it's it would be kind of. 
I don't know on that dad, so I don't know. But like, I think they kind of become more self-aware of what they're doing and that they're setting an example for their own kids. <laughs> mm. you know, they see their, their own father doing this or behaving like this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think that's why in like more sort of in the latter years, he's gone into more kid orientated stuff or it's comedy. That's really sort of toned down. Mm-hmm. And it's more sort of family friendly comedy or, you know, like films like grown ups and grown ups too. There's no need for a sequel. You know, <laughs> it's the same film again, just in a different place. Um, things like that, you know, um, how his whole career kind of went and it was only films like rain over me and uncle gems that you like you can actually see that he is still a serious actor but i think a lot of what he's doing is just things to keep working you know um mm. i mean i don't know what his situation is like but i have to hand it to him that he is one of these actors or producers who just keeps putting out films every year. Yeah. So he, he must be making money off them somehow. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to see them in the cinema, but someone is. <laughs> I mean, he has that Netflix deal where he did a deal with Netflix to make like four films. And then they made the fourth, they made the first one. And then Netflix said that the first film he made, which was the ridiculous six on Netflix, it was the most watched film on Netflix in 30 days. Like, that's crazy, man. Mm. Yeah. Like, think of all the films that Netflix has. <laughs> and an Adam Sadler ripoff of uh, The Magnificent Seven, The Ridiculous Six, had the most viewers. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's just that he has that... Um... He has that celebrity status now mm. where like, people will see that Adam Sandler is involved and they'll either like it or they don't. So an Adam Sandler fan will go watch it anyway, regardless mm-hmm. of it's terrible, you know, because they like seeing him. So critics pan most of his films. Well, but critics, critics are terrible all the time, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you think they just have it out from because critics panned um, Billy Madison... The Water Boy, uh, they like the wedding singer, um, and they panned Happy Gilmore just as much as they panned his films that maybe deserve to be panned, like Jack and Jill or like other stuff like that. Do you think that they have something out against them? Because like obviously, obviously critics are whatever, but Happy Gilmore, like I said, is such a wild, widely loved film that I just find it hard that it got. It just wasn't that well received. It's kind of hard to say because, number one, I don't really like critics anyway. Mm. I think it's like people who can make films become filmmakers, people who can't make films become teachers, you know, and people who can't teach filmmaking become critics, you know, because they can't do anything else, you know. Like anyone can be a critic. I can sit down and watch a film and criticize it, you know. yeah. So I don't personally put any weight into a critic's opinion on it, you know? 
like people can point at film and see a film point out like it's technical flaws like maybe the sound is wrong here you know like sure enough there's technical flaws in every film well to you know sit there and say that oh you know you shouldn't go see this film because you won't like it and Mm. it's It's like the whole thing is completely subjective and and it's all i feel like critics have to critics more often than not are with uh a publication of some sort, sort of with a brand. So a creator is a, the Irish Times has a film critic section or the Sun has a critic section. And you kind of have to sort of tailor your critique for the audience that reads your stuff. Okay. <laughs> that's how I would, that's how I see it anyway. Okay. You know, whereas I think some, like, uh, I, I don't know, but like uh, more sort of, teenage young adults uh focused publication will probably give it a much higher rating mm. than something like the washington post <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean um uh, like critics pan loads of things that don't deserve it. and then they praise things which are absolutely awful yeah uh, it's funny, so, go. they do have an effect. Like, I know, because I know there's definitely films that you and I have gone to see where we're like, they've been critically praised. Because mm-hmm. I share your sentiments. Like, I completely agree with everything you've said. But it's funny that they still kind of have a hold on us. Like, um, like, remember we went to see that Jonah Hill movie, mid-90s. I remember you were like, oh, man, it's meant to be deadly. And I was like, oh, we looked, I looked up reviews and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm excited to see it. So I don't think either of us maybe would have went to see that or wouldn't have even been on our radar if it wasn't critically praised. Um, yeah, it depends. I think because that film, it's weird. I sort of became aware of that film very early on or something like this, like when they were making the film. Okay. Or my social media page is just full of news, like about filmmaking and stuff. And I'm like, oh, Jonah Hill's directing a film. I'll keep an eye on it. And then I think it's screened at like some big film festivals and stuff like that. Mm. And wherever I was, I'm thinking, oh, it's screening at these film festivals. Must be doing okay. Um, yeah. Would you that? say that you watching like so? Your director, you study directing, you study film, write scripts. Would you say that you would look at a film and say the trailer and you can look at the production and you can get a good vibe if it's going to be good or not? Like general, like obviously you can't 100% tell if it's going to be good or if it's going to be bad, but would you say that, like, yeah, you get what I'm saying? Like it's never 100%, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think it really comes down to the people involved. Mm, okay. And it, um, it really comes down to people like who the director is, who the writer is. It's kind of weird. Like I know like Aaron Sorkin, who's probably one of the most famous script writers around these days. Yeah. He's written social network. Um, what well, else? Uh, social network, a few good men. Um, Steve Jobs movie, uh, the newsroom. What's that other 
he wrote a TV show with it's about the president of Martin Sheen's the president of the West Wing. Oh yeah. Uh, he directed, wrote, and directed that other film, Molly's Game. Is it the film about Molly Bloom who ran the poker? Mm. Um, yeah, he's a great screenwriter. Yeah, but like I know, kind of going to see that one of his films. I kind of know what I'm getting myself in for. I know it's going to be dialogue heavy. I know it's going to be really tightly cut together. It's going to be really condensed. Mm. And similarly, I think, you know, if you go see a Tarantino film, you know, you're going to get some violence, some gore, some jokes, uh, yeah. some crazy dialogue. You go and see a Christopher Nolan film, you're, you know, you're going to leave the theater confused. Um, <laughs> you know? So I it's a weird sort of psychological effect where what happens is I actually read it in a book um, by William Goldman. I think it's called Adventures in the Screen Trade. Right. And he's talking about actors who they sort of fall into a niche and how they use that niche then to market the film. So if you go to see a film with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, what are you going to go see? An action movie. An action movie. So you're never going to cast Arnold Schwarzenegger in a rom-com. Yeah. You know, because it's completely unexpected. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's so interesting as well. Because like when you're doing acting, like when we're studying acting, they said for, for film, they were saying you need to find your character that you're going to be cast as. Um, because that's going to be your niche, which is interesting because actors are always like, no, I want to like play something completely different for me to show what a good actor I am. But mm. well, me and you have talked about this before. That, and I like it circles back to Adam Sandler. It's like some of the best actors are just like playing a slightly different version to themselves. It's like Robert De Niro. Yeah, or Al Pacino or Michael Keaton. <laughs> like they're all kind of, they're greats. They're the greats, but obviously you have your um, your exception to the rule, like Daniel Day Lewis or something. Hmm. But like, if you go and see an Adam Sandler movie, like you're seeing Adam Sandler, just a kind of different version of him. Yeah, but you still have films like Rain Over Me and Uncut Gems, hmm. which are different. Well, yeah. I think I think what it is is especially with a lot of younger actors is that they're afraid to be typecast. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people forget that you can always break out of being typecast later on in your career. Yeah. Every actor pretty much does it. Like Matthew McConaughey with the, you know, the fucking... Yeah. Uh, he was the rom-com hero and then he went to Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, where then it's like people took him as a serious actor. Mm. Well, he was in his 40s when he rebranded himself. Yeah. You know? So it's a turnaround in your... 20s and say oh no I'm well you know I'm a bit of everything you know <laughs> it's yeah. like you don't have the the track record to do that anymore mm-hmm. if you know and uh, I think actors should just take the roles that they're given personally I think anyway that they should take the roles that they're given if they're happy with them they have to be happy with them first off they shouldn't do it because it's a job they should do it because they want to be involved in that project mm-hmm. uh, and not worry about being typecast. I think it's just people being afraid or thinking too far ahead of what their legacy is going to be because <laughs> they want to model their career after someone else's. Yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of actually just 
creating their own and just let it go where it goes. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I completely agree because, and this was something like, um, that we have talked about before that, like for me being an actor and then going into writing that I didn't get that sometimes when people come into audition for you, when you write a character, you kind of know straight away if this person's going to be able to be it, that person or not, or play the character or not. And like you've said that multiple times in some of your auditions, haven't you? Like with your projects that like someone walks into the room and you know, it's not that you know straight away this is going to be the character, but you know that they're in the re- the they're in the region of where they could play the character that you've written. Yeah. Yeah, and, I think I, it's a, and it's nothing personal towards yeah. actors. It's mainly just trying to find the right person for the role, and that's the director's job and the casting director's job is to find the person who can, you know, fit the role as good as possible. And their responsibility, overall responsibility, is to make the best film possible for the audience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that was definitely a good learning point for me as an actor. Like, so if I went and did auditions or do auditions and I don't get it, it's never, I never take it as in, oh, I didn't do this good enough. I don't do this bad. Or I just take it as, look, I wasn't right for the role and that's it. Yeah, I know. It's it's a, it's extremely tough for actors because um, especially it's like I'm looking at it from my own vision of what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and if we get another director to to do it, they're going to have a different vision. Yeah, and so on and so on. So it's really just, you know, it is almost just like potluck. But there are, I think, there are things that actors can do to open themselves up for more roles. Yeah, uh, I think some actors don't. You know, and um, what what would you say? I would say things like um, well, number one, have your accents down. Mm, most definitely. Have your accents down. Uh, you never know what role is going to come your way. You should be able to do a neutral American accent, uh, Cockney accents, your regional dialect of where you're born and raised. Mm-hmm. Um, would be no harm knowing one or two European accents. Mm-hmm. Um, other things like picking up other skills along the way, like learning to dance, to sing, to play an instrument, uh, combat skills, things like that. Just learn boxing or a martial art or something. Mm-hmm. Just so you have more tools in your scope, a broader scope and a broader, more tools yeah. in your box, you know? Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion because, you know, it, it is hard to find actors with those skill sets. Yeah. You know, um, for me as a director looking for actors who can play certain roles, you know, you kind of want to say, okay, can you do this in an American accent? And then they don't have it down. So then by the time it comes to filming, you're kind of hoping that they have it nailed. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to filming. You know, whereas if you have them all sort of laid up and ready to go. Um, yeah, you know, I think it just increases your chances just from my personal point of view. I'm sure there's plenty of people who will disagree with me. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's just my thoughts on it from my side of the table. No, and I think it's I think it's great thoughts. I think like if there's any actors listening, I think they're all valuable points. I mean, that's I've learned a lot uh, personally from Eamon as a director and a writer because we come from like basically the complete opposite sides of the camera. I'd like to think that Eamon has learned some things about me. You know, actors are emotional; they're kind of arseholes sometimes. <laughs> Shut up and say your lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Been many a self tape where I was just like, right. Are we doing this again or are you happy with that? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. um, we'll bring it back around to Abby Gilmore, but like, it's still still relevant though, because like Adam Sandler plays that character. He has his niche and he does step out of it when he wants to, like we said, Uncut Gems or Rain Over Me or Punch Drunk Love. But he still, like, you know, he, he has that ability. But he has his classics, like you know, like there's a new film I just watched the trailer of, um, Huey Halloween or something, or Hubby Halloween. <laughs> Did you see it, the trailer for it? Yeah, and like, funnily enough, after watching um, Happy Gilmore, I'm gonna watch that. Like, I'm definitely gonna sit down and I'm gonna watch it because it's a lot of his films, like, say what you will about the ones that are even critically, critically panned, you can sit down turn your brain off for an hour and a half and there's nothing heavy you know what i mean you just sit back you just enjoy it and you're just like this is all fluff but i love it yeah it's sort of like a guilty pleasure in a way yeah but it's it's i think that's why i picked happy gilmore because it is that type of film where you can just sit down and watch it you don't have to mentally prepare for it and you're not going to be exhausted at the end of it yeah you know? um because the the character is suffering some dark tragedy and you know yeah. all this sort of stuff it's a film that you can actually just turn on at any stage and just enjoy it i was kind of happy that was one of the reasons why i was happy and i picked it for this week because the past two weeks i'm after doing i did star wars and i did the godfather which were great great films and i love talking to uh, ronan and hartley about it but they're just there's a lot of research because you want to know exactly what you're talking about. It's a deep dive and you're thinking a lot about everything that's going on. But with this one, it wasn't as much. <laughs> it was nice, you know, watching it. But that's actually a good segue into the last question. And I, I know you've answered this like a little bit throughout it. Um, But what impact do you think the film had um, socially, if it did have any, or, and personally? If it did have any, um, socially, um, like maybe it made golf cool again. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or like even like I. It's usually this is for like films that like have big impact on the cinema. But like, do you think it had any impact like that or anything like that? I can't say it did because I'm mm-hmm. not to say that. Um, Oh, like, look, it's a box office success, technically, regardless mm-hmm. of the band. You know, they've made, they've made back more money than what they spent making it. Mm-hmm. They're always able to go continue making more films. So it's a success in Adam Sandler's eyes. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most important thing. Um, from um, my perspective, how did it impact me? Um, it made me laugh. I mean... It's just an entertaining film that I'll always watch and I'll keep watching it. And 
regardless of films, I know these days every film has to be somehow socially relevant or have some political message in it. Mm-hmm. But regardless of all that sort of stuff, the film first and foremost has to be entertaining. And if it's not entertaining, then it's not going to stick with people. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Happy Gilmore for me is just one of those entertaining films <laughs> that uh, that I've seen. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's and man, that's a great reason. I think I completely agree with everything you said. And that, uh, yeah, I think that's a great way to end it. I just want to thanks for coming on, man. Uh, thanks, dude. It was nice talking to you again. We hope to have you on again and um, maybe do a different film. Super interesting stuff. Getting it now, you're not coming on again. You're done. <laughs> Hell. um yeah but next week we're gonna have on my friend luke matthews who actually wrote the music for the intro uh we're gonna be doing twister have you seen twister yeah it's a great song who's in that uh is that dennis quaid dennis quaid and helen foster is it i think so i haven't seen that in years so i'm uh, really really excited to get back into that and everybody else will talk to you next week. Uh, say goodbye to the people, Eamon. So long, fellow travellers. Very poetic. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.